The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would, and open them to Exodus chapter 20. Our study is in the Ten Commandments, and today we're continuing with the Fifth Commandment. Most of you know it very well, and while you're turning there, I'll just tell you what it says. Uh, It's in the twelfth verse. Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The title of the message is Live Long and Prosper, and that comes from the last part of the verse. And if we obey the first part of the verse, then we have this promise in the Word of God that we will have a long and fruitful life. I know that most people want to live a long time, and it could be that longevity is more tied to our family life than we might imagine. Uh, Medical researchers and uh, others have said for many, many years that good marriages and a good family life lead to longer lives, and perhaps they have stumbled upon what they may think is a secret, but those of us that have been reading the Bible have known this for a long, long time, that the Word of God has this promise that if we honor our father and our mother, our days will be prosperous in the land. Now, a good question for us to ask would be, how can obeying this commandment to honor father and mother have anything to do with living longer lives? And what does God mean when he says we'll live longer in the land? Well, in the message today, I want to show you that this commandment is much broader than the relationship that we have with our parents. This command is about the societal order from the top to the bottom. A principle is established in this command for how we are to get along with each other and how we can keep from being at each other's throats. This is about how people can live in harmony. Now, as you know, we've discussed many times that the commandments are divided into two tables, that physically Moses was given two tablets of stone on which were written these Ten Commandments. And then as a spiritual principle, the commands are divided into two different categories. The first one is about our vertical relationship, man to God, The second is the horizontal relationship of man to man. And as I mentioned last week, when we come to this fifth commandment, theologians have some difficulty categorizing it. Does it belong in the first category, the vertical relationship of man to God, or does it belong with the second, which is the relationship of man to man? Uh, Is the primary emphasis about God as our Father, or is the primary emphasis on the physical relationship of human fathers and mothers? Well, there is a connection, definitely, between these two tables, and the connection is with that very first word. It's the word honor. And that word can actually be translated as glory. That is the same word that's used throughout the Hebrew Scriptures for the worship of God. For example, we see in uh, Exodus 24, 4, verse 16, the scripture says, And the glory of the Lord abode on Mount Sinai. And the word glory there is the same word as honor that we see at the beginning of Exodus 20, verse 12. Now, that tells us that we can rightly connect the fifth commandment to the first table of the law. But we're taking the position that 
this word honor is just a bridge that connects the two tables of the law and that this properly belongs to the second part of the table. And that is that uh, utmost respect is owed to God in the first table of the law. We are to honor him. And then the first commandment of the second table of the law has to do with honor, that we are to honor father and mother as the first relationship that we have with people, that we are to honor those who are made in the image of God, starting with our parents who brought us into the world. Now that emphasis is on the extreme weightiness that we find in the second table, which teaches us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so the connection between the two tables is accentuated in other parts of the Scripture. For example, by the Apostle John, who wrote that it is impossible for us to love God unless we love our fellow man. And that's really, I think, one of the fascinating parts of Bible study and that's to see how these different concepts are played out in ways that we wouldn't otherwise know unless we were diligent to study the Word of God. And the Bible is such a unique book in that way. Uh, there are many people who say, well, I, I just cannot understand the Bible. And we look at them and we shake our head, yes, we understand that. You're never going to be able to understand the Bible until it's opened up to you by the Spirit of God. And so the Bible critic who says, well, the Bible is just a, a superstitious book. It has no meaning for us. It's a nonsense book. Well, it is nonsense to them. And that's because it only comes to light with divine guidance. Now, then the magnificence of the depth of this command is uh, shown in the part that I want to discuss with you today. But first, before we get to that, I want to talk to you just a moment about the last message in which we discuss point number one of our outline, which is the social issue that this commandment is about relationships and that God has arranged the societal order and the family is the backbone of, this, of these, all these relationships that we find throughout the world. Uh, this commandment is the underlying support system for all parts of society. And when the family breaks down, society is destroyed. And that's why Christians are so very much concerned about how our government defines family. We're, we're concerned about how it defines family. We believe in traditional marriage because any other arrangement will destroy the societal order. That's destruction of society. And if family is the backbone of society, then what is it that nourishes it, keeps it all together? Well, it's this fifth commandment. This is what keeps everything straight. This is what holds the family together and society together and increases the prosperity of the land. Now, destroy this, destroy this, destroy the family uh, with an unholy definition by claiming that there can be fatherhood or motherhood for those who can be neither fathers or mothers. That is a travesty upon societal order. So we establish that we honor God in the first table of the law by taking our rightful place and honoring God in all the ways that God says to honor him. And then we take uh, this commandment as the underpinning of the second table of the law that we are to respect our mothers and our fathers as we respect God. And that is the starting place of all our relationships. And this is the point that I want to bring before you today. It's to show you how this command stands at the top of the second table to govern everything that comes below it. The horizontal relationship of man to man begins with honor. And so how do we respect another, one another 
in these relational bonds. Ezekiel Hopkins, a 17th century English Puritan, made this insightful statement. He said, in the second table are contained six precepts, all enjoining our duty towards man, who may be considered as our superior, our equal, or our inferior. Our duties towards our superiors and inferiors is prescribed in the first of these six, and our duties towards our equals in the other five, all which respect our neighbor, either in his person or in the exterior gifts of wealth and credit. So I hope that you get that, the importance of that statement. Commandment number five will show us how that we are to relate to our superiors, and by extension, the superior leads us to, our tr- to the treatment of inferiors, and thus we get to commandments, and then we get rather to commandments six through ten, which tells us how we are to treat each other as equals. So you can see by this that if you thought the fifth commandment was very, very easy, that all it has to do with is mother and father, then you've missed the full intent of what God has to say in this commandment. All of God's divine orders pertaining relationships to other people funnels through this fifth commandment. Now our point today is to discuss uh, this next observation upon this commandment, and that is the scope that is involved with it. The scope of this commandment. Arthur Pink wrote, This commandment to honor parents is much broader in its scope than appears at first glance. It is not to be restricted to our literal father and mother, but it's to be understood of all our superiors. Then he goes on to say that this is inviolably fixed by God, that it is to be preserved. And he said that Anyone that God has exalted over us in authority, we should render honor, obedience, and gratitude. And so, according to him, and I think according to the Word of God, this is a principle that is fixed forever. It cannot change. It's the Word that is spoken by God just as surely as that very first commandment was spoken by him. If this commandment degrades in the second table of the law, the law crumbles just as the first would crumble if we took the very first commandment that God gave and we made any other God our God besides the Lord God. So if the first commandment of the first table is abridged, all commandments fall. And likewise, if the second, the beginning of the second table of the law, honor thy father and mother, if that is abridged, then all of our relationships of man to man cannot be maintained. Now, today, we're going to start with this. And I want you to notice how that Paul incorporate, incorporates the fifth commandment into his teachings about the obedience to authority. So let's take our Bibles now and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And in this chapter, Paul begins with a, with a general statement that will help us as a starting place of understanding that helps us to keep in right relationship with each other. Now the problem that we have... Uh, most of you know very well, is that we live in a me-first society. We think that there is nobody that exists but us, and if there are others that exist, then the focus of others is to be on us, just as our focus is on us. Let me give you a very simple example of this. A few days ago, I was getting ready to make a right-hand turn on a very busy street, and as I was turning, there was a, a young high school student that was walking home from school and he entered into the crosswalk and so as he entered the crosswalk I stopped and the cars behind me of course had to stop 
Opposite me, there were cars getting ready to make a left-hand turn to get onto the same street. There were many cars uh, ready to turn left. And this young man, as he was crossing the street, uh, he shuffled his feet, and he was looking down, and he walked very slowly, and he had his earbuds in his ears, and he was just like, there's nothing else going on in the world but me crossing this street. And here are people from my direction and the other direction that he's holding up, going where they need to go because he is completely oblivious to everything that's going on around him. Now that might be a dumb example, but that that, that shows us how that, that people only think about themselves and who and what they're doing. They are the center of the of attention and they don't give any accommodation to others. What I do when I cross the street is I get as quickly from one side to the other as I can. First of all, I'm smart enough, I don't want to get run over in the crosswalk. But I get, I, I get over from one side to the other as quickly as I can because I don't want to inconvenience anybody. Now, if you ask me if you can help me, there are a lot of times when I'm very hesitant about receiving help from anybody because I just don't want people to take attention away from the things that they have to do to spend their time on me. So what is that, what is this driving motivation that takes away unbridled self-interest? Paul gives it to us in this first statement in Ephesians 5.21, a very simple principle. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submit yourself to one another. Submit yourself as if all others are more important than you. Now, this is Paul's first statement in the mainstay of the chain of authority. Be ready to, to submit and to respect other people. Or in other words, back down. Assume a different place in your life and that you are number one and everybody else is inferior to you. Take up a position of subordination and don't think always that you are the king of the hill. So what you are to do is to take a lower attitude of self. Now, I know that that goes against everything you hear in the world today, but the Bible teaches us to take a lower attitude of self, and when you do that, you're not going to have any trouble submitting to others that are in authority. Now, let's look how it plays out as Paul goes on in these following verses to explain chains of authority. Now, you might not like what he has to say, but you need to get over that because it is the Word of God. So he goes on in verse 22, and he says, Wives... Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Paul begins with a family issue, that the wife has authority over her that she needs to submit to. In verse number 23, the husband has an authority that he is to submit to. He submits to Christ. A wife should be happy to submit to her husband as he submits to Christ because when she does, she also submits to the authority of Christ. Her, her submission to him is acceptance of that authority of Christ. Then he goes on in verse 24 and he says the church submits to Christ. And then he goes into chapter 6. And let's see what he says uh, in this list of respect for authority. Verse number one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, 
that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now inserted into this chain of authority is the fifth commandment. And that's the underlying principle of it all. Then you notice how he goes on in verse number 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Now there he shows us that submitting in human relationships is also submission to Christ. And that follows the reasoning that we have that this commandment is a bridge between the first and the second tables of the law. We honor God when we honor our fellow man. And you can't overlook this part. You can't be self-serving and at the same time keep the fifth commandment. So the scope of the commandment is too broad for you to say, well, this is what we do at home. I'm the head of my house and my children are in subjection to me and that's good for us. No, the Bible teaches this has to extend into all of our relationships all the way across the board that we are to submit to all those that are in authority. Now, the scope is just too broad to keep it in your home. The scope of the commandment is extensive. Calvin said, Wherefore, it ought not to be doubted that God here lays down a universal rule for our conduct, namely, that to everyone whom we know to be placed in authority over us by his appointment, we should render reverence, obedience, gratitude, and all other services in our power. Now, the interesting point I think here, is that it doesn't matter what you personally think of the authority that's been put over you. It doesn't matter if you think that the authority deserves honor. They have obtained their appointment by divine providence. Now, I want you to remember that because as we go through these different things of authority, people that are in authority, it's going to be tough at times to look at this and see who's included in this command. Some of these are harder than others, but all authority is by divine appointment. So this is what we're going to look at next, now in the beginning of the next sermon as well, and that is, who has God put in positions of authority? So we'll begin with this, political superiors. Now it's hard already, isn't it? This is hard already. It pains me to say this, but we have to submit to all of those who are over us in government. Now, the last election uh, strains at our resolve to obey this command when we have to honor those that we consider to be godless and sometimes those that we believe are a threat to our Constitution. When are we justified to do what our forefathers did in this country, and that's throw off the bonds of oppression? Well, as we look at this last election... If Hillary Clinton had won, I think it would have to be considerably more than to say, well, we just don't like Hillary Clinton. I, can't, I could conceive that uh, how that Paul had to have Holy Spirit inspiration, that if it hadn't been for that, that it would have been impossible for him to write Romans chapter 13. Let's go there next, and let's look at that for just a minute as we talk about political superiors. What did Paul have to say to those that were living in a, in a Roman state with rulers that not only killed Christians, but put him into the arena with wild animals? And we look at Romans chapter 13, we wonder, how can Paul write this living under the oppression of the Roman government? 
But this is what he says, verse number 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Now think about Paul having to write this from a natural perspective. How could he say this? Here's a man that was a Jew. Before his salvation, he did everything that he could or within his power, at least, to overthrow Roman authority. I mean, he, he had to live under it. He knew that he did, but he didn't like it, and he would have overthrown it as a Pharisaical Jew. Now, this, this, is, this is quite odd that he boasted himself to be a Pharisee who, who lived in strict compliance to the Ten Commandments. And the odd twist about this is that the Pharisees were among the very worst about breaking the Fifth Commandment. Now, we'll get to... Pharisees later as we discuss one of Jesus' scathing rebukes over the issue of their fathers and their mothers and breaking this commandment. But do you think that God didn't know what what he was talking about when he said, if you upset the home, you're going to upset society. So the Jews wanted to throw off Roman occupation. Jesus said, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And what was Jesus doing when he said that? He was obeying the fifth commandment. And this is what Paul had learned after he became a Christian. By the time that he wrote Romans 13, this is what he learned. He learned to change his mind to obey the commandment. This is hard, and yet this is what the commandment says to do. No matter who the president is, you must respect the office. And you do that even though the person who holds the office may have no moral virtue at all that you think that he's deserving or she is deserving of, no redeeming qualities, why you should honor them. So you might not like the president, but you must respect the president. And so I would say to those now that are very unhappy about this last election, it's time to shut up. It's time to shut up accept the government that we have, accept the authority that God has put over us. And folks, you may not believe it, but I would say that no matter who won. It makes no difference. We are to obey the authority. Now, what's the benefit of this authority to our society? Well, according to Romans 13, it says that leaders are a terror to evil. They may do evil themselves. The president that we have now could turn out to be the most corrupt man that this this government has ever seen but government is still good for us government is beneficial without it there is no societal order now pay particular attention to verse number one romans 13 for there is no power but of god the powers that be are ordained of god now as you know the religious right went bonkers over the election before the election they were Crazy with fear. What's going to happen to us if if Hillary Clinton is elected? And it even came to the point that some of the right, the religious right, 
figured that Donald Trump was somehow a resurrected Cyrus. That, that he's the one that God has, is going to use to right America again. He is God's instrument to fix America. Well, evidently, Trump was God's choice. We can't dispute that. The powers that be are ordained by God. That's what Romans 13 says. And he may very well be God's choice to bring America down rather than to save us. Perhaps God has no intentions at all of making America great again. Maybe our time has run out, and now we're living in the last days. If not the last days of the world, maybe the last days of America. In the past few weeks, I've been reading in First and Second Chronicles, and there were times that God did not allow the fruits of repentance because the wickedness was too great. He stayed his hand of chastisement for short periods of time, But then, as you read in those two books, he purposely sent Judah into battles that they would not win in order to chastise them. Now, Donald Trump didn't get where he is without God's ordination. But does that mean that he's a personally righteous man and that now he has a righteous mandate behind him? Not at all. Not any more that Nero did or Caligula. And it could be that Donald Trump is our Nebuchadnezzar, for the destruction of this American citadel of freedom. Now, isn't it interesting that God would not let Israel resist chastisement? When they were wicked, he brought chastisement on them, no matter who the leader was. And so for those who are determined that America is somehow a modern Israel that should obey, uh, should receive the blessings of God as Israel received the blessings of God, I just want to you to, re- to remind you that for most of Israel's years, they lived in chastisement. God even sets up evil rulers for his own purposes. Well, then who else is considered in the fifth commandment? Now remember, government... We have to obey the political authority, no matter who that authority is, whether we agree or don't agree. uh, We stand against them, our government, if it infringes upon our belief in the one true God. But at all other times, we're to obey the civil authority. Who else is included in the commandment? Well, next is pastoral superiors. Now, maybe after what I've just said, this, this one's hard for you, too. Uh, But I want you to indulge me for just a minute because as we talk about this, this will get very personal. I don't want to be self-serving because that would defeat the purpose of the point. But I do want to tell you what the Bible says about this. The command says, honor thy father. Paul made another spiritual connection to the fifth commandment concerning pastoral authority. This is what he said to the Corinthian church. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ... Yet ye have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. The pastor is a spiritual father who instructs you in the word of God as a father would instruct you in the disciplines of life. I realize that there are some of you that may have had bad fathers. You weren't treated well. You may have been abused. Thinking about a father is hard. This this scripture is particularly hard. Reading the command is painful for you, and it's very hard for you to relate to this. But I also know that there are more of you that came from good, stable families. That memories of home and of your father, those are very good. You would never think of, of speaking badly of your father. 
You would never bring up his name without good thoughts. You would never speak disparagingly of him. And you would even go further than that, that you would defend him against even some of his obvious faults, that you would overlook those things because you have a certain love for your father. And I want you to remember that attitude as I talk to you about spiritual fathers because that's the same kind of attitude that you should have. Now, for those of you that have bad thoughts of fathers, imagine what life could have been like for you if you had a father that loved you and cared for you and always had your best welfare at heart. That's the way you're to think of a spiritual father. The command extends to those who rule over us in pastoral authority. It teaches us love and respect. Paul said that he was a father to his converts. And he taught that fathers, that, that pastors rather, are like fathers to their congregation. How should they be treated? Well, it, it's sad that far too often pastors are the subject of complaints. Some of you will have me for Sunday dinner. And I don't mean that you'll have me over. I mean that you'll chew on me uh, at your Sunday luncheons, your Sunday dinners. You're upset with things that I've said. And some of you will do that in front of your children. And as you do, you disrespect the authority of the pastor's office. So how do you expect that your, your children and others are going to develop proper respect for the office of the pastor when you speak that way? And so do you understand this, that when you undermine me, you actually undermine your own authority? Uh, you degrade parental authority in the home by teaching children to disrespect other authorities. And so your home is not going to be stable unless you as a parent submit to the authority that's over you. Doesn't Paul tell us that in Ephesians? Doesn't the pastor preach to help you? Does he preach to harm you? If I happen to hit on your sins as I'm preaching... Am I doing that because I just like to see you squirm? I like to see how miserable you're going to be? And do I design my sermon so I can just pick on you because of your sin? Well, not at all. Now, a father, your, your human father, disciplines you. But he's not, he wasn't pleased by your pain. He didn't do it because he was pleased with pain. He did it for your good. This is what Paul said to Galatians. He said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now, the discipline of a father can often be stern. And in the church, the same thing happens as well. In the home, it can be stern. In the church, it can be stern. The goal of your father at home was to mold you and to make you a good citizen so that you are an outstanding, successful member of society. And the goal of the pastor as your spiritual father is to mold you to make you an outstanding citizen of God's kingdom. And so the goal is to make you sanctified and holy, a vessel that's fit to be used in the master's service. The goal is that your life will glorify Christ and that you will grow up into him in all things, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. So is that someone that you want to speak evil of? Why should you honor the pastor? Because he stands in the place of Christ. That was very nice to get a gift from you just a few minutes ago. Uh, thank the Lord for that. Your pastor stands in the place of Christ. He is the under-shepherd. He's the ambassador of Christ. His work is the work of Christ. Why is he to be honored? First Thessalonians 5 says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you 
and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Esteem the pastor for the work's sake. It's the most important work in the world. What else does the pastor do? He watches for your soul. Hebrews chapter 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Then the 17th verse, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as, that, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like Galatians 6.1? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. John was, was uh, fond of calling his flock his little children. Hebrews says not to make the pastor's work grievous, that it will be worse for you if you do. There is no benefit for you if you destroy the pastor. And observe the end of this command again, that thy days may be long upon the earth. Now may I continue? How else should you honor the pastor? Listen to him. Obey him. Obey them that have the rule over you. What does that mean? It means to submit to his doctrine. Follow him as he follows the Lord. Believe the doctrine. Now I know that there are some in the church that surely do think that they know better than the pastor. And they're very quick to disagree with what he says behind the pastor's back. But rarely do they come with the Bible in their hand to confront the pastor and his doctrine directly. I once had a person say to me, no, I'm not going to come to you about the Bible because you have a way of turning it to your advantage. Duh. I mean, are you trying to tell me that I might know something more than you know? People often believe things because they've heard it, not because they've studied it. And do you know there are some preachers that count on that? They're never going to be challenged by what they preach. Uh, to, by people that he, they preach to, they won't allow that to be done. And they just want people to hear and believe it because they heard it. I don't mind discussions that arise because you've studied the Scripture and you've reached a different conclusion. But until you can prove it, then you need to give me the benefit of trusting the doctrine. Respect the pastor for the doctrine. Believe it unless you can disprove it. And if you're right, the Holy Spirit will help you, and you need to have the right attitude about how to go about that. Honor the pastor in his doctrine. Support him. Don't work against him in private or in public. There is a correct channel for disputes in, uh, with the pastor. Did you know that? There's a correct channel to go through, and it's fine to do that. But this is the command that we have here. Only those that disobey the command undermine pastoral authority. Now, what does it mean, then, to honor your spiritual father? Well, let's consider this way in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. Now, th this one is really a tough one. And I am charged with preaching the whole counsel of God's word. So I've got to tell you what that means. It's very difficult. Paul and John showed us that the pastor is a, is a spiritual father. And now we read here that not only are you to honor the pastor, but what does it say? You are to give double honor to the pastor. Now, I don't have time to explain the entire text, but if you care to know, 
This is going to be taught more thoroughly in the, in the Sunday night series. But when I taught on this before in the Wednesday night service, uh, I had some people tell me that needs to find its way into a Sunday morning sermon. And by God's providence and by his good timing, this commandment affords us an opportunity to discuss it. So what does it mean here by double honor? Well, the context is pastoral support. Almost all commentators agree that Paul was teaching the church how to take care of the pastor financially. And this is why he goes on in the next verses to talk about how the ox treads the corn. And he said, don't muzzle the ox. And in 1 Corinthians 9, he taught the same thing. He said, the laborer is worthy of his reward. And Paul said, if I've sown unto you spiritual things, shouldn't I reap your material things? And so the subject is pastoral support. Now the question here is honor. Have you noticed that this word honor is the root of honorarium? What is the pastor's honorarium? Well, according to 1 Timothy 5.17, it's double, especially if he labors well in word and doctrine. He is to be paid well, not begrudgingly. And so if you've judged me to have labored well in word and doctrine, and I've taught you what scriptures teach, then how do you show respect for what you've been taught? I tell you that I feel very inadequate for the ministry of the pulpit. And so I'm content to let you judge what you hear from the pulpit. Is what you hear from this pulpit more substantial than what you hear from others? Then you be the judge of that. And if it is, Paul says, give double honor. That means healthy pay. Pay that's substantial enough to, for a pastor to afford his home, to support his family, not to be burdened with more than he should be burdened with, which is the teaching of the Word of God, preaching the gospel. Now, the pastor's ability to give you spiritual benefits is more important than the material things that you want to hold on to. And that's because the pastor gives eternal benefits, while everything that you have in this life is going to be left behind. Now, you can well imagine this is very, very difficult to talk about because churches today, as you well know, have been fleeced by unscrupulous pastors who have very little to no truth to tell. And so they live in luxury. They have all their cars. They have their planes and their mansions. I don't ask for those things because the Bible doesn't demand those things for the pastor. I'm simply telling you that a pastor is to be well taken care of. Now, let me, let me just take you back for a moment to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. This is what he said to them about support of parents. Mark chapter 7 and verse 10. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things do ye. Now, just the long and the short of that is that the Pharisees broke the fifth commandment because they would not support their parents. They had excuses. They had excuses. They wouldn't give their parents what they needed. Their parents suffered because of all the excuses they had for where they needed to spend their money. So can I make another application to the story? The pastor is a spiritual father, and if you don't support him financially, then you break the fifth commandment. 
Why would I associate that with Mark 7? Well, it's because there are many church members that are pharisaical. They have an excuse for not tithing. Their money is reserved for other things, just like the Pharisees had their sacred cows that they held back their money for. And so you have people that come to church and they receive all the spiritual benefits that the church has to offer them. They hear the preaching and the instruction of the Word of God, but they don't give anything in return. So what they do is they steal out of God's resources. I hope that there would be none of you that would sneak up on me in the darkness of the parking lot on Sunday night and that you would hit me over the head and take my money and you would steal my car keys and drive off in my car... You don't really need to do that. You did it already if you don't help your brothers and sisters support the ministry. A very simple thing. I'm paid out of ministry funds. And for some of you, you make little to no contribution to the ministry funds. Now, this is a very hard subject, but this is something that has to be taught. This is a very short commandment, but it's long in its implications. You remember that fourth commandment we talked about? It's the longest one that we have in its verbiage. This is a very short one, but it does not come short in its depth of meaning. Now, I've given you two aspects today of the scope of this commandment. I have two more that I want to give you. I don't have time to do that now, so we're going to take that up in in the next message. I'll save it for next time, and for now, I'll just end with this summation. The fifth commandment is about societal order. The government is included. 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Proverbs has an interesting reference. By me kings reign And princes decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all judges of the earth. God sets these people up in their positions of authority. So the person in power is there because of God. And to honor that person is to honor God, even if that person doesn't deserve personal respect. Honor the authority of the office because of this fifth commandment. And then on the spiritual side, honor the one that rules over you your spiritual father is your pastor obey him give him all the respect that he's due why because it will be well with you he watches for your soul and if you listen and obey he provides the best protection for your soul that you can get now i very much appreciate our church nothing that i've said today should be taken as any kind of complaint for the way that the church treats me I have no complaints about that at all. I receive honor. I receive honor every time someone goes out the door on a Sunday morning or any of the services and says, Pastor, thank you for teaching us the Word of God. I receive honor from that. And if you recognize that as the Word of God, it's not the opinions of men, then our relationship is going to be healthy. The Word will teach you to respect me in all the ways that honor is due. So what is the Word of God telling us? Obey the commandment. Live long and prosper. Two areas that we've discussed. Governmental authorities, political superiors, the pastoral superiority. Start with those, and then we're going to work our way down. We'll get to the family. That's, of course, fathers and mothers. The physical fathers and mothers are also going to be in there. 
Respect the authority. The commandment says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. It extends to all of our relationships from top to bottom, man to man, and that horizontal relationship of love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now thanking you for the word that you've given us today. Lord, we thank you for this fifth commandment and how that we would fare so much better as a society if we obeyed all the implications that are found in it. And we see, Lord, the, the, the scope is broad. Sometimes it's very difficult for us to do. Our natural being, natural man, resist this. But there is an authority. There's a chain of command. There are our superiors that we are to yield ourselves to as you tell us to do. And then, Lord, help us to remember that, that principle in Ephesians 5.21, that in all our relationships, that we submit to one another. Or as Philippians says, that we are to esteem others better than ourselves. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves and thereby obey the second table of the law. For only by doing this can we really observe the first table, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our strength. Help us to do it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The most important part of what we learn from this message today is what we found out right there at the very end of Ephesians 6, verse number 5, that as we honor the authority that is over us, that we also respect Jesus Christ, that we give honor and blessing and obedience to Him. We glorify Him by following this command. That's got to be the most important thing that any of us wants to do as Christians. Whatever will be glorifying to Christ, whatever respects Him is what we're going to do. So if it means submitting ourselves in ways that we don't want to do, in ways that are against the flesh, in ways that are very difficult for us, and remember, it's because of Christ. He, he's the authority, the ultimate authority over us. And to submit to everything underneath that is to submit to Him. And if we just remember that, in the tough times, and doing these things that are hard, that we're obeying Christ, that's going to make it so much easier on us. Learn, learn these principles about submission to authority. Now, of course, to do this, as I've said a couple of times in these messages, that it doesn't do any good for you to try to obey the commandments if you don't know Jesus Christ. Because all of these point to Him. This is all about him. And we're going to see him a little bit later on in the end of these messages, how Jesus shows up, how he shows up in his obedience to the fifth commandment. We want to be like him, so we need to obey it. We'll sing another verse of our song. If God's spoken to you in some way, we're happy to discuss these things with you further, salvation with you further, or, or just principles that we've talked about in this message. People in the back, people in the front are ready to help. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.